any of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves. This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Why, hello there, superhumans. It's Boomer Anderson here. I want to take the time and say thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. As always, we like to bring on experts to delve into the science, to really separate true from false, and to give you bite-sized pieces of actionable information which you can implement in your everyday life to be healthier, a more informed, and a higher-performing individual. Today, the topic is a bit controversial, so I have to give a little bit of a disclosure. We're going to be talking about cannabis. And by controversial, I guess the word really is polarizing. There are people on one side that love cannabis. There are people on the other that absolutely despise it. But I'm not really one to shy away from controversy. We wanted to talk about cannabis objectively. What does the science say? What do we actually know? What do we not know? And so I went and sought out an expert who knows a lot about cannabis in particular, as well as the endocannabinoid system. So in today's episode, we get into a lot. We talk about the different strands of cannabis, THC, CBD, what their health benefits potentially are. We talk about the different types of cannabis, sativa, indica. We get into that endocannabinoid system, and we talk about how your genetics really impact your experience with cannabis. Because after all, all of our experiences are individual. So my guest today is David Krantz. David is an epigenetic coach, musician, and entrepreneur based in the lovely Asheville, North Carolina, where I'm recording this right now. He serves as the director of psychoacoustics at the Apiron Center for Human Potential, where he explores the interaction between art, science, and health. As a coach, he works with clients using genetically informed, personalized strategies for optimal wellness and greater creativity. If you want to reach out to David after this episode, his website is David hyphen Krantz, that's K-R-A-N-T-Z dot com. You can also find all the show notes as well as David's contact information at decodingsuperhuman.com backslash Krantz, K-R-A-N-T-Z. I hope you enjoy my conversation and have an excellent and epic day. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Boomer. I'm so glad you're here today because the purpose of the show, we're going to talk about cannabis. And before we get started, I have to throw out a whole number of disclosures here because of the topic. But first things first, the idea here is to dispel dogma, to share really scientific-backed information, and to talk about the health benefits of cannabis, who it's for and who it's not for. Now, with that being said, we are sharing information here. This is not a medical recommendation. So please, before you do anything uh, stupid or illegal, please go talk to your physician. Now that I've got the disclosure and sort of that CYA out of the way, David, the question on everybody's mind, is pot good for you? Well, that is the loaded question. And I'm going to kind of dodge it here by saying, uh, you know, there's not a clear yes or no to that. It really depends on the individual, what their physiology is like, what their biology is like and really what kind of cannabis they're consuming as well plays a big role. So the answer is for some people, it can help certain conditions and and things. And for other people, uh, it's probably not a very good idea. But what's important to recognize is that the kind of blanket statement of either pot is good for you 
you know, or it's bad for you, uh, is really oversimplified. And uh, I hope we can kind of break some of that down and really talk about, um, you know, the intricacies of that today. David, I'm glad you say that because, well, first, it's going to be a much longer podcast than two minutes, <laughs> but also I uh, want to delve into some of those types to start with, I guess, that people may be smoking or taking. So cannabis comes in so many different forms. If you don't mind touching on a couple of these, perhaps, you know, THC, CBD, what are the differences really? Okay, well, let's back up and talk about what a cannabinoid is. So you mentioned THC and CBD. These are two of the main ingredients in cannabis, things that these plants naturally produce actually as a defense mechanism against animals that might be eating that plant. So all of these chemicals have evolved over time as a way for the plant to defend itself. And it just so happens that these chemicals match up really nicely with these receptors that we have in our, in our body naturally uh, that are cannabinoid receptors. And so we produce our own cannabinoids naturally. They're involved in a whole wide array of, of different systems in the body, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. THC is the main psychoactive uh, ingredient in cannabis. It what makes people feel high. It activates the cannabinoid receptors, and you know you can take that isolated on its own and experience this very similar effects to smoking cannabis or consuming it. And there's so many different ways to intake it as well. Eating it is one, and vaporizing, etc. And CBD is a non-psychoactive cannabinoid. So just because it's a cannabinoid doesn't mean it's going to get you high. And actually, most of them don't that we know of. There, there's actually over a hundred of them. And we're, we're really just beginning to understand what all of them do. And it's really early phases in the research. But CBD is more of a, uh, of a subtle kind of thing. You know, people use it, have been using it for anxiety and for a whole bunch of other conditions and situations uh, where they don't necessarily want to feel that high that you get from THC. But you're able to get some of the same beneficial effects without the THC. So they're kind of two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Okay, so you're saying that we have this in our body naturally, these endocannabinoid systems. Mm -hmm. Now, two of these are, are THC, CBD, and the way I, I should think about this is that a cannabinoid, in a way, is the plant sterile, if you will. Uh, am I thinking about that right? Uh, similarly, yeah, similar. Uh, like a sterile would be a type of fat produced by a plant. Mm -hmm. um, and cannabinoids are something with a specific chemical structure mm -hmm. uh, that plants produce. And actually, other plants besides cannabis produce it too. Like green tea actually produces cannabinoids. Uh, calamus, a lot of natural herbs and things you'd find in the supplement aisle are uh, also have different types of cannabinoids in them. So going to one of the points that you made about these health benefits and how maybe THC and CBD have different health benefits. Do you mind just touching on some of the ones that have been either proven by science or more well-researched? Absolutely. So, you know, it's an interesting research climate because obviously it's been restricted for a long time and it's becoming, you know, more accepted in the research community to be able to study this. But, you know, there's an interesting mix of both anecdotal success stories as well as well-researched stuff, you know, as more and more research becomes available, we're going to see confirmation and validation of hopefully more of these anecdotal kind of things. But for example, seizures, epilepsy has been uh, one of the big things that people have been using this for. And it's actually remarkable. I have a, I have a personal story about it. Someone that I, it is in my extended family uses cannabis to control seizures. And uh, 
facial spasms from trigeminal neuralgia, which is a degenerative uh, neuro disease. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, you can see it happen instantly. When she gets a seizure, she'll take a puff of cannabis and, and it just stops. And you can see there, there's very clearly a, a potent effect. Epilepsy is one thing that people have been using it for. Cannabis is actually approved for MS, um, multiple sclerosis treatment in 10 different countries. Other neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Huntington's disease. And then things like anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder are some of the other things. And we'll talk a little bit more about PTSD because it's a, it's a pretty interesting way to look at how the endocannabinoid system can either be in balance or out of balance and how all of these different factors, life experience, stress can affect that. You know, cancer is another one, both treating the, uh, the appetite, lack of appetite that comes with chemo, cannabis itself having some anti-cancer property. Um, so there's a lot of interest right now in really understanding how that works and why it's effective for certain people. So why don't we delve into PTSD? Because I know that a number of different organizations, some of which I've backed uh, personally, like MAPS, mm -hmm. for instance, have done a lot of research with the effects of MDMA and psilocybin on things like PTSD. How would, I guess, cannabis in this, this case be used for PTSD? And if you don't mind just walking through how the system is a little bit out of balance mm -hmm. in the case of PTSD and how it benefits yeah, that, that's a great question. So to give you a little bit of background, uh, let's talk about the naturally occurring cannabinoids that we make in our body. So there's two main ones that we know about. One is called anandamide, and the other one is called 2-AG. And anandamide is actually named after the Sanskrit word for bliss, mm -hmm. um, because when they discovered it, it was mimicking the effects of bliss in rats. Um, of and, course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it seems kind of And obvious, it seems right? like with 2-AG, they ran out of... Uh, a naming scheme, if you will. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have any uh, have any, any creativity with yeah. that one. Yeah, and so we, we produce these things naturally, and there's uh, some really interesting studies looking at people having higher or lower levels of anandamide and having different stress resiliency levels. So there's studies looking at people with certain genetic variants that might create situations where they have lower uh, levels of anandamide. And those people tend over you know, lifetime to have higher levels of PTSD in, re in relation to stressful events, early childhood experiences and that type of thing. Uh, and it appears that having higher levels of anandamide is naturally protective of developing PTSD or other uh, you know, anxiety, other debilitating conditions related to stress. So suffice to say, if you have higher levels of anandamide, can I conclude that my stress resiliency may be better? Yeah, that's a pretty reasonable thing to 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 conclude there. Um, and we'll talk a little bit of, more about this when we get deeper into the genetics. But mm -hmm. interestingly enough, these pe people that have higher levels of anandamide have lower preference for cannabis use uh, because they already have higher levels of their endogenous cannabinoids. So people that have lower levels of anandamide, the lifetime levels of, of cannabis use are about double. And you can start to see how they might be trying to balance out something you know that's naturally lower in their body. So looking at PTSD, there's some pretty interesting studies that show that people with PTSD, no matter what their genetic variants are, just have lower levels of uh, anandamide and 2-AG. 
So one of the things that's been you know proposed in terms of a mechanism for why cannabis helps people with PTSD is it's balancing out that cannabinoid system, giving them the uh, uh, the cannabinoids that their body is lacking. And for whatever reason, you know the psychological response to that type of trauma lowers the endocannabinoid levels. And so there's some type of feedback loop that's being triggered in these, you know, situations of that that type of trauma that, you know, becomes embedded and stuck where the endocannabinoid system isn't able to produce the those things on its own. So David, just moving on, so you mentioned that, you know, PTSD is associated with lower levels of anandamide and 2AG. Is it possible that some of these people that are you know, exposed to, and exposed to these traumatic situations or have these traumatic situations happen to them may have some genetic predisposition, which makes them more susceptible to getting PTSD. And does that in any way correlate with our endocannabinoid system? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is one of the big questions that's trying to be answered right now in the research, um, isolating certain genetic variables that might make people more susceptible to PTSD and having differences in their stress resiliency. And one of those genes uh, is called FAAH. Mm-hmm. Um, and FAAH actually breaks down anandamide. It's responsible for you know, disassembling the molecule and turning it actually back into uh, arachidonic acid, which is mm-hmm. a polyunsaturated fat you're probably familiar with. So uh, just another interesting fact, these endocannabinoids are actually synthesized out of polyunsaturated fats. So looking at this this gene variant, Boomer, you probably you know know this about the the FAAH gene that mm-hmm. it, it heavily influences you know whether someone's going to do better with a monounsaturated fat diet or a polyunsaturated fat diet. So there's you know always multiple kind of things going on with these these uh, you know individual genes. But the, the FAAH gene, yeah, it looks very much so like there's a difference in people's uh, susceptibility to PTSD based on those variants because of their naturally occurring higher levels or lower levels of anandamide. And there's also a gene called um, CNR1 that codes for the cannabinoid receptor. It's the main, there, there's two versions of, of cannabinoid receptors that we have in our body. There's mm-hmm. CB1, CB2. Uh, CB1 is found more in the brain. Uh, and CB2 is found more in the immune system. There's genetic variants in that CNR1 uh, receptor. You know, people might have different shapes or amounts of that receptor present in their body. And based on that, that seems to be another big factor in people's stress resiliency. And, and that particular gene is really interesting because it's linked to, I mean, if you, you pull out uh, a, a list of medical conditions and throw a dart you know, at it and, and hit something, there, there's probably a study that's linked it to CNR1 right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty fascinating. So CNR1 is a pretty interesting one. And if you don't mind, I want to spend a moment on this. And for everybody listening here, we're going to link a lot of these studies and research in the show notes. And that's at decodingsuperhuman.com backslash Krantz. That's K-R-A-N-T-Z. And we'll make those all available to you. But CNR1, Getting back to that. So CNR1 is a very interesting gene to look at because, as you mentioned, you throw a dart at a dartboard related to any sort of disease state, you end up hitting CNR1. But CNR1 also has a lot of effects in terms of how people react to cannabis, Mm -hmm. how people react in terms of, I, I guess, perception and experience with cannabis. Do you mind touching on a little bit of the effects that different variants have with with cannabis yeah yeah absolutely so um 
CNR1, you know, just, just to kind of read off the list here, bone density, constipation, weight gain, weight loss, circadian rhythm, hormone regulation, cognitive function, uh, and also leaky gut, you know, is a big topic that, that's right a now. That's a huge topic right now. Yeah, so a activating CNR1 actually decreases leaky gut uh, that they found in some studies. So that's a pretty wow. interesting thing. And there's certain genetic variants that, you know, are more likely to have underactive CNR1. So for certain people, and they, they tend to be very thin, anxious types of people, for whatever reason, that seems to be the, the phenotype. Uh, <laughs> interesting. So that person who's thin and anxious may benefit from a little bit of uh, extra cannabis, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Or or, or CBD. And, and CBD, so to, now that we kind of have the basis of that system, uh, you know, CBD activates these receptors, but not in the same way THC does. Mm -hmm. THC directly activates those receptors. But what CBD does is it actually gets the body to produce more of its own anandamide. Mm -hmm. So it, it activates CNR1, not by itself, but by um, telling the body to make more of So its it's own. like a catalyst, if you yeah, will. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So going back to CNR1, and you know, David has this awesome webinar, which of course we'll link to in the show notes, but talking a little bit about CNR1 on the effects of a person's experience when smoking, you know, vaping, eating, whatever it is in terms of uh, THC or weed in general, do you mind touching on a few of those effects? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two big things that, that they've identified with CNR1, and one of uh, one of those things is just overall craving. and the. So this would be like an addiction propensity, if you an, will? Yeah, or? it would be an addiction propensity and just the desire to consume cannabis. Like when they, there's an amazing study that they looked at these genetic variants and did brain scans when they were exposing people to smoking cues, you know, basically just letting them smell cannabis smoke. And there was about a three or four times difference depending on uh, the variant for in centers of the brain, dopamine reward centers of the brain that would indicate that, uh, you know, this is a, something that they, they really want on a basic biological level, essentially. Are these predominantly CNR1 SNPs that they're researching or is this having to do a little bit more with uh, dopamine regulation as well? So there's a couple different factors uh, in that study. I think that, that the study I'm, I'm talking about actually was looking at uh, a combination of FAAH and CNR1 together. Mm -hmm. um, and then there also appears to be some dopamine-related genes that are uh, influencing that, like DRD2, which is the dopamine receptor gene. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like any other genetic variants, which I'm sure you've stressed on the show before, you know, it, you can look at it in isolation, but it's more helpful when you kind of get all of them together as the big oh, picture. Oh, the big system. Yeah, the big system. So CNR1 uh, influences, you know, the desire to consume cannabis and just that natural biological urge, because, you know, if you have naturally lowered CNR1 function, uh, adding some exogenous, you know, cannabinoids like THC in is going to activate that. So you know, our smell receptors, all mm -hmm. these things, you know, are linked up to, to that and, and can give us these cues and, and uh, heightened uh, desire for those things. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing that it influences is memory under the influence of cannabis. So obviously, you know, the, the stereotype is, you know, the stoner who can't remember anything. Uh, yeah, we go back to the Chichen Chong days, right? Yeah, and yeah, then, of course. Yeah, the stoner who can't remember anything or maybe some of those lead singers uh, or the rappers, Cypress Hill, when they can't remember their lyrics. You're telling us that genes affect whether or not it, or it influences short-term memory. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And CNR1, in addition to a couple other genes, which we'll, we'll also uh, touch on, 
there's about you know a, a 20 or 30 percent difference in these work in these memory tests that they've given people after smoking cannabis you know if you have one variant your working memory your short-term memory is significantly worse than the other variant so you know this is something pretty cool to know uh, especially if you're someone who either consumes cannabis or wants to try it you know it might it would be a good idea to, to get a feel for you know am i someone who's genetically predisposed to not remember where my keys are you know after smoking or, or not because there's actually some genetic variants that are protective of it too which is pretty cool you know the, the comt gene mm -hmm. is another one that we, we can talk about because uh the the results on on some of these studies are just so striking i mean 40 percent difference in people's working memory after consuming okay cannabis. so let, let's go into that because i know a lot of the people here listening memory is super important to mm -hmm. them high performing professional they they have a very busy schedule time constraint and they're probably looking at cannabis and saying okay what's my downside yeah and let's talk a little bit about comt Okay. And how that plays a role in that potential downside as well. Because we've already identified with CNR1, you may have a potential for worse short-term memory, which for certain people may not be a good thing. What about with COMT and how we look at the combination of the two? Yeah, so, you know, again, these things are going to either kind of counter each other out or reinforce each other mm -hmm. with the same effect. So uh, with COMT, it's mostly known as a... As a as an enzyme that breaks down dopamine in mm -hmm. the brain. So there's one variant that has higher levels of, of dopamine naturally and another one that has lower. And the variant that has higher levels of dopamine, it's also protective of short-term memory loss with cannabis use. Mm -hmm. So if you're one of those people, you know, you, you know, might not experience those del deleterious effects. Um, and, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is when we're talking about this, we're talking about whole plant consumption these are these studies are looking at that we're not talking about isolated cbd or isolated cbd with terpenes mm -hmm. and um uh, terpenes are another big factor in this too um, do you mind just touching on what terpenes are yeah yeah absolutely so, so terpenes are, are what give the plant flavor mm -hmm. and they're found in a whole variety of plants actually essential oils are loaded with terpenes mm -hmm. um for example there's uh there's one called alpha piney that's mm -hmm. that gives pine needles their smell uh douglas fir those the christmas smell that that's piney if you've ever, you know, walked into a dispensary or a coffee shop, you've, you've, you know, seen all the creative names talking about, uh, you know, grape and, and lemon skunk and all those kind of things. I mean, it's, it's not for no reason. It's because cannabis is actually amazing at mimicking and producing these bouquets of aromas. And what they've found is that those terpenes are actually very important in changing and modulating the effects of THC in a way that, um, you know, it, it's generally found that whole plant extracts are more effective than, say, just THC, uh, because what they call the entourage effect, mm -hmm. where all of these things are, are interacting with each other. Like, for example, it's been proposed that the terpenes are, are actually responsible for kind of limiting some of the, the short-term memory loss effects of THC, because THC has been shown to lower the levels of acetylcholine in the brain. Mm -hmm. Acetylcholine is really important for, for memory. And there's a, a couple of terpenes that basically counter that effect. And so so they, they basically hedge your choline levels in a way, your, yeah. acetyl, your acetylcholine. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, and, and, you know, it's really exciting looking at these studies because they're, they've only been done on 
either isolated THC or whole plant THC. There's like no genetic studies right now on CBD or the over 100 other can cannabinoids. So we're really about to enter this golden age of research. I mean, we're, we're just beginning to really tap the potential of, of, of what's out there. And looking at the way we respond individually, just based on what we know about THC, we're going to see some really amazing treatments come out of this, I think, for specific conditions for specific people. Awesome. And so right now, it seems like we're in this infancy in terms of research within the cannabinoid system, within cannabinoids in general. Mm -hmm. You had a very interesting analogy for me uh, when we were just discussing this beforehand. Yeah. And do you mind going into talking a little bit about how you look at this in terms of a market? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that's important to know is that we didn't even know that we had cannabinoid receptors until the late 1980s. So people were smoking, we didn't actually know why we got, why we felt the way we did, or is it more just we didn't know about the actual anatomy of it? We didn't know about the actual anatomy of it. Mm -hmm. um, we, we didn't understand that there was this other system in the body, essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can imagine what it would be like to, you know, first discover the nervous system, you know, like it's just a whole new way of looking at the body. We laugh and about it now, but it's just funny because it just happened, like you said, with the cannabinoid system. Right. So, you know, you can think about this uh, and really what they found is that it's such a pervasive system. It kind of sits on top or underneath, depending on how you want to look at it, all these other systems in the body. So, you know, you know about neurotransmitters. We know about the, you know, the factors that might cause some uh, synapse to release dopamine, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they found that these cannabinoid receptors also exist in dopamine neurons, and they can also influence the transmission of dopamine. So, you know, you can think about it like if you're trading a market, you know, there's so many factors that can cause the price of a commodity to go up and down, right? Say, for example, an analyst discovers this whole new reason why a, a price is fluctuating. Say there's internal competition between vendors or something that just wasn't, they, they never factored that in. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, this person makes a discovery and says, okay, this is actually, you know, causing the price to fluctuate by, you know, 30% and, or it's a 30% you know, the reason why the whole price is fluctuating, that changes the whole dynamic, right? It's another factor that you can look at. And that's essentially what's happened with the uh, cannabinoid system is now that we know it's influencing all of these things and all of these other systems in the body that we thought we kind of had a handle on. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, it's giving us this opportunity to really understand well, what are these, you know, underlying factors? Can, they, can we go deeper? Because when you look at it, almost every single cell in the human body has endocannabinoid receptors on it, uh, you know, kind of as an adjunct to the other receptors. So we're going to see a lot of research really focused on that, focused on how it's adding another layer of complexity, essentially. Okay. So let's go into that research because what do we already know? We've touched on some of these things, mm -hmm. but what do we not know and what would you like to see get done? Because I think when we're starting to talk about how this system integrates with other systems and how it's a catalyst for many of our processes to run better, it makes sense that there'd be a lot more research on it. However, you, you mentioned that this we only discovered this in the 1980s. I know that it's a pretty political topic yeah. in a way. And so getting the funds for that research may not be as easy as it should be. So what do we actually know? 
And then what do we not know about the endocannabinoid system? That is a, a huge question. And I would say we know a lot less than we don't know. We know we don't know a lot and we, you know, we know very little, even mm -hmm. though the, the strides that we've made have been pretty big. So what we do know is that the endocannabinoid system exists pretty much everywhere. There's no system in the body that doesn't have cannabinoid receptors kind of linked up with it. So as we begin to take apart what those things are actually doing, we're going to see more available treatments. And like I was saying, you know, the whole plant has been generally shown to be, you know, more effective. But as we kind of isolate all these individual cannabinoids, study them individually, we're going to understand how they all add up back together mm -hmm. and you know i'd love to see some research on terpenes individual terpenes mm -hmm. uh, and how that relates to cannabinoid function because it, it's very cursory research right now just very preliminary there's no genetic studies right now looking at differences in response to terpenes and cbd you know why does cbd work fantastic for some people's anxiety and not for others mm -hmm. uh, i think that you know is a great genetic study that could be done Mm -hmm. uh, trying to look at candidate genes that might influence the way we either break down CBD or use it. You know, I'll give you an example. So there's um, a gene called CYP2C9 that is uh, involved in breaking down THC. So mm -hmm. basically, there's a class of people that have one variant that are fast metabolizers. They break down THC very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's a class of people that are slow metabolizers, and they, they don't break down THC well at all. And so for these people... They just they do they get tired when they smoke or what what are their, some of their common characteristics? Yeah, so for slow, slow metabolizers, they're the people that a little bit goes a way long way. Okay. Uh, yeah, they tend to get a lot higher. So I was completely wrong on that one. Well, saying. no, no, actually, you were you were right. That is one of the things that that one of the studies was looking at was uh you know what's the like the the drowsiness effect mm -hmm. uh and people that don't break down thc tend to be more drowsy even a couple days after consuming cannabis mm. so you know that's just one really nice clear study that's looking at that one cannabinoid right as we begin to start looking at well how are we breaking down these other cannabinoids there's thca and thcv and there the whole whole wide range of them uh, once we begin to understand you know, the metabolism of those, we're going to understand really how we can customize and really personalize different strains or formulations for people for different conditions. Because what's pretty clear now is that not all conditions that people are trying to treat with cannabis require the same set of cannabinoids, right? So when we talk about strains, what we're really talking about is, you know, I mean, you can think about it like apples, you know, they're, they're a golden delicious apple tastes very different from a red delicious than a mm -hmm. Macintosh and it, you know, and there's different chemicals in there that produce these different flavors. And you might use one for a pie and use, you know, another one for some other dish or eating it raw, you know, in the same way, different strains of cannabis have different applications. Mm -hmm. And as we kind of be, you know, begin to match up those different chemicals and what they're really doing in the body with different conditions and you know what those imbalances might be we're gonna we're gonna see more of a customized approach and more of a personalized approach and, I, and for me that that's pretty exciting to see because one thing that i'm cautious about is you know treating it like a panacea mm -hmm. because it, it's really easy in something that's been so politicized to kind of swing back totally to the other side of the fence where you know you have a bunch of, of misinformed people you know, that just 
have demonized it right you know it's been demonized for a long time something that's not culturally or socially acceptable in a lot of ways the kind of knee-jerk reaction for people that are cannabis advocates are to say you know go a hundred percent to the other side and, and say cannabis well, fixes everything cannabis fixes everything right you get shot by a gun cannabis fixes yeah it. <laughs> which which obviously is not true but i understand the sentiment i understand why people do that mm -hmm. and as we begin to have a more balanced discussion with these things in mind where cannabis isn't perfect for everyone all the time, but it's really, really helpful for some people some of the time, it's going to allow us to kind of get past some of that dogma. And, you know, one of the ways that I like to think about it in terms of a legality sense is heart disease is one of the biggest causes of death in the United States. I think it's right? number one, it's number right? number one, yeah. Saturated fat is a really big problem for a lot of people that causes coronary artery disease. Are we going to outlaw saturated fat? I think no. we've tried to do that. I think before. we've tried to. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a bunch of people that follow the bulletproof diet mm -hmm. and saturated fat is, is the panacea for them. You know, people, you know, dropping tons of weight, uh, but it all depends on that individual person. So uh, I think... You know, if we can get past the political climate of this and really look at it from a scientific perspective, we see a lot of the same similarities with cannabis. You know, it, it's very helpful for some people. Some people, it's probably not a great idea. But do we want to take away the ability for the for the people that it's really going to help on a in a big big way? I, mm -hmm. I don't think so. You know, that's my personal take on it. So, just a couple of final things that I want to ask about is in terms of the research around time dilation. Mm -hmm. People listening to this, one of the main appeals of cannabis may be time dilation. What I mean by that, just to explain myself, is slowing down time. So we're all stressed, we're all rushed, and at the end of the day, you just want to enjoy the time with your family. Mm -hmm. And I know friends that do this where they go home, they have, they smoke, they eat something, and they just enjoy the time. Are there any studies around what particularly causes that time dilation or what you know, strands or genes may influence it? Yeah, that's a cool question. There's one study I'm familiar with that generally looks at people ex experiencing subjective effects like that, and they didn't break it down that far. But what they were looking at is essentially, is it a, a more psychedelic experience? And, you know, time dilation is certainly one of those those factors of, of having that altered perception, altered state. And then that gene's called the ATK1 gene. So yeah, there's certain people that might experience more of that time dilation. Other people might not. It might not be so intense. But you know, we, we can talk about the, the the medical effects. You know, people really trying to treat um, you know a disease or a condition or something like that. But you know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on the other side. You know, some for some people, you know, cannabis is very helpful for relaxing, for you know, just hanging out and and being able to take their mind off the rest of the day. And, you know, when you really look at studies around stress and, and resiliency, having that, that practice of being able to, you know, compartmentalize your, your day and, and, you know, just have, give yourself an hour or two to do something totally, you know, has nothing to do with work and, and it gives you the, the chance to relax. Like it's really, it's really a worthwhile thing to do. And if cannabis is something that helps you with that, if it's not causing problems in other areas of your life, like I think it's a it's a it's a nice substance to be able to use. The trick is to really get the dosage right and also to find strains that work, you know, with your body. And one thing we haven't touched on in that realm is the indica and sativa 
Um, <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, we've yeah, gone we this far and we haven't even really talk. gone into uh, the difference between the two. Yeah, so so there, there's kind of two main varieties of, of, of cannabis. One's called indica and the other's sativa. Each one has slightly different it's a different chemical soup you know essentially mm-hmm. that the plant produces uh and they grow a little bit differently and they look a little bit different but the main subjective difference is that indicas tend to be more of a body effect you know you feel those are the kind of ones that you just want to sit on the couch mm-hmm. and just it very very physical feeling kind of high uh, whereas sativas tend to be more cerebral a okay. little more creative uh brainstorm type we they, they for some people they can be a little bit more anxiety producing people really tend to have a preference for one over the other and it's if, uh if we're searching for this time dilation sativa or indica it's it's pretty personal you know okay. uh it, it really is i i tend to personally choose sativas mm-hmm. um because i i i don't like feeling like i can't get off the couch but you know for for some people that's that's what they want to you know that's what they like to use it for so so they just want to relax and so therefore they go for the indica yeah i'm i personally when i use it i use it more as a intellectual stimulus you know i like to sit down and brainstorm and like and write music or or write ad copy or or something like that something Mm -hmm. just it creates new ideas and for me the the appeal of it isn't so much the uh the stone sensation but okay. for some people, it totally is. So we've come a little bit full circle. We went all the way down the endocannabinoid system, came back out and talked about different types. Now, coming back further and talking about different ways to intake mm-hmm. edibles versus smoking. Are there any dangers really with smoking? Because when you think about smoking cigarettes, right, there's all kinds of dangers to your lungs. What do you feel? What are your sentiments on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point to bring up is that smoking anything is bad for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a big proponent of safer ways to ingest cannabis. Uh, vaporizing is one where you're heating it up. You're essentially vaporizing the cannabinoids in the same way that you create steam, you know, when you boil water. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you're not inhaling smoke. You're just directly inhaling the cannabinoids. Edibles, like you mentioned, are a good way to intake it. You do have to be careful because the, the potency of edibles are you know, generally much higher than smoking, and it's easy to go overboard with them. I have a side story on that. <laughs> please tell, please tell. <laughs> and, you know, being in Amsterdam, probably one of the more famous weed capitals in the world, uh, just having edibles where whereby they knock you unconscious. I have to share this story, and, you know, I feel like people may appreciate it. Yes, I've tried marijuana. I've, you know, I think growing up in the United States and some of the places that I've traveled, it's readily available. I live in Amsterdam, which is pretty famous weed capital. And for me, my experience with it, and I know we can do a lot of research into the genetics as to why this is, and I've done a lot of research into the genetics as to why this is, is that I'll have an edible. Like you said about smoking, I just didn't feel like smoking was a good idea. And so I'll have an edible and I'll reach into the pantry. And let's say, I just remember the specific instance where I had some way back when my mother had some Halloween candy and I ate all of it. But for me, I I don't get the sleeping benefits. I don't get the relaxation benefits. I just get hungry. Mm -hmm. And so it's very interesting to point that out because I know that everybody has their own individual experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that's one thing I want to stress is that for, for some people, you know, it's, 
it's going to create that type of extreme hunger and you're you know that that might be the main thing you get out of it do you get the extreme hunger it depends on the strain actually for me sometimes i do and sometimes sometimes i don't and i okay do share what what kind of strains don't invoke it i guess uh the the more sativas for me okay when i smoke indicas they tend to or consume indicas they 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 tend to lay me out and make me just want to eat so you sit on the couch and you have yeah so i avoid them i you know i (laughs) try not to do that um, Maybe that's the problem that I've had in the past, but we'll see. It's it's possible. You know, there, there that is often the common argument that I hear is that, well, you just didn't try the right strain. And I think there's about, you know, 50% truth there. But I also think that, you know, there's there's more impactful underlying individual biological reasons. Yeah. yeah. And, and what you'd recommend for some people is you can look into your genetics, really, to find Maybe the answer to this question before you get started, first off, you know, we talked a lot about short-term memory and whether or not it could have an impact on your short-term memory or working memory, but also in terms of the high that you actually experience or the benefits that you may actually get, what we're saying is is that your genetics could play a role in here. Yeah. And I would encourage anyone who's finding this conversation interesting to go check out the webinar uh, that I did on my my website that covers all this more in depth. I talk about each one of these genes and the specific SNPs and really, you know, break it down. There's also an article I wrote on CYP2C9 that you can read. And I think that one is one of the the big SNPs for whether you're going to get laid out by edibles or or not, because the, the slow metabolizer variant tends to just be very, very sensitive to consuming cannabis like that, like you said. That would be me. No. Are, are you a, are you a CYP2C9? Slow yes, band? I am a slow metabolizer. Oh, wow. Okay. See, and, that, expl- and- that explains a lot of that. And we'll link, I definitely want to link to the webinar in the show notes because I I watched the webinar and I learned a lot from it. And you do provide specific RSIDs. And for those people listening, the RSID, when you go into the 23andMe raw data, you can search right there. You give a lot of really good free information for people. And so I, I will definitely link to that webinar in the show notes. Great. You know, we can talk a little bit more right now about why that CYP2C9 slow metabolizer is so sensitive, especially to, to edibles. When you smoke cannabis, you know, that's a very quick, direct transmission of, the, of those cannabinoids to the brain. But when you eat it, it has to go through the GI tract. Mm-hmm. And when that enzyme, the CYP2C9, CC9 enzyme is, is much more prevalent in the GI tract than anywhere else in the body. So for people who are fast metabolizers, they already start to break down some of that THC and convert it into the non-psychoactive metabolites or, or, or kind of end results of that. And for people with the slow metabolizer variant, you can almost think about it like it kind of gets stuck and doesn't ever get converted into the non-psychoactive version it actually in some cases gets converted to a more psychoactive version called 11-OH-THC I'm glad you brought this up because you're the perfect example yeah, that, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing or well, bad thing, uh, but... <laughs> but but it is because you know that it's something to keep in mind that maybe the average dose that you might get sold in a coffee shop is you know three times too high for someone with, with that genetic variant mm-hmm. so you know understanding your genetics, looking up your RSID numbers is really going to help, you know, kind of unravel why, you know, you react the the way you do Mm -hmm. and give a little bit of clarity to, you know, maybe previous experiences where you had the same amount of someone else and just had a way, way different reaction. Awesome. So other sources that you recommend in terms of learning about cannabis, specifically the uh, science behind it, because ultimately what we're doing here is just sharing what is 
scientifically backed information. Yeah. Like, we're not really saying whether or not you should go out and try it. We're just presenting the facts. So what, what places do you go to for your sources uh, of cannabis information? My favorite one is PubMed. I think uh, everybody's favorite everyone's one is favorite thing is PubMed, but there, there's a great website called professorofpot.com. Okay, so uh, not High Times, right? We're no, talking. not High Times, and and you you know there there I want to stress that there really is a big difference between lifestyle publications and scientific publications, and if you want to really understand what's happening in the research world, don't read High Times for it because they're going to spin it. You know, it's it's it, like it, reading Men's Health. For, for exercise right, right? <laughs> yeah exactly and, and they're not doing anything wrong but they have to appeal to their, their readership mm -hmm. so uh, there's a great website called professor of pot i think it's prof of pot p-r-o-f of pot.com mm -hmm. and he he does a great job of kind of aggregating all this information as well as i've got a few articles on my site that you can look at as well awesome um, but i'd recommend looking at professor of pot he's he's excellent excellent so uh, just in closing where can people find out more about you David, and where can they find out ways that they may want to work with you? I'm interested in cannabis because it's something that I've, you know, has affected my life and, you know, it ties in nicely with all of the work that I do with genetics and, and like, like Boomer, I'm a, I'm an epigenetic coach and I work with people individually. My, my area of expertise is more around, uh, kind of optimizing creativity and, and cognitive function, but you can find more about what I do on my website, david-krantz.com. And I encourage anyone who's finding this conversation interesting to go check out some of the blog posts I have up there. Uh, I'm also a musician and do a couple other things unrelated to the health world uh, that are on my website that, you know, I put up there because, you know, it's what I do. And Can we talk about, about visionary magnets? Yeah, we, should, we definitely I, I mean, the magnets, by the way, one of my favorite things to do first thing in the morning is throw together an interesting health sentence. Uh -huh. but, uh, David is, and I'll throw this in the introduction too, but David is the inventor of visionary magnets, and it, that's something else that you can check out that David's been a part of. Yes, we, a couple friends and I uh, released a magnetic poetry set uh, earlier last year, and we, we did a Kickstarter, and I'll, I'll just kind of let it speak for itself uh, if, uh, if you want to look that up. It's... Uh... I'll it's put an I'll put an image of my favorite saying of visionary Please. magnets in the yeah, show notes. Perfect, so, perfect. Uh, awesome. Well, David, any anything further that we'd want to leave the audience with? Uh, no. I would say you know it's your biology. You know, experiment with it. Be willing to try new things and be willing to uh, you know say hey, this isn't for me. If it's not, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the kind of take home message of all of this. Right is is we're all individuals. We all have differences in our metabolism and biology that are going to create reasons why certain things would be great for one person and not for another. So whether or not cannabis is for you, that's kind of up to you to decide. But just know that some of the things you've heard about it might not be true. I mean, ultimately, you know, knowledge is power. And having that knowledge about yourself is going to empower you to be, to be that much more effective in whatever it is you're doing. Uh, and having the knowledge about different substances, uh, the real scientific knowledge, not the dogmatic cultural kind of perception of these things, uh, you know, really gives you more freedom to make wise choices for your body and your health. Absolutely. Well, thank you, David, so much for joining us today. And of course, we'll link to this at decodingsuperhuman.com backslash Krantz. And we'll put all of the scientific studies that we mentioned here today in the show notes. But Again, this is about really getting an informed approach to health, which is the message that we want to leave here uh, with you today. So, David, thank you so much for joining. Uh, awesome. This has been great. Thanks, Boomer. Before you leave, can I ask just one favor? 
can you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your lovely podcast here and leave us a five-star review? I'd really appreciate it because it helps get the word out about precision health as well as decoding superhuman. Thank you very much and continue to have an absolutely epic day.